Ignition sequence start. Three, two, one. Well, welcome back to university, everybody. Uh, this is the show where we talk about the hard-hitting questions uh, regarding Earth, existence, and the unknown. I'm AJ Perrin. With me, as always, is... Judson Martin. And with us, as never before, is world-renowned orator and cosmological extraordinaire, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Hello. Thanks for having me on University. Thank <laughs> yeah, thank you so much, Dr. Tyson. Uh, we're just glad to... Uh, Neil, please. Neil. Just call me Neil. All yeah. right. Well, mm-hmm. we're honored to have you on the show, Neil. Uh, and we have many, many questions to get through today, so we're excited to get a chance to talk to you. Bring it on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, just a little bit of background. We started this podcast like maybe five or maybe six months ago at this point. So we're like still in shock that we get to have a chance to talk to you, you know, at this early point in our podcasting career. So, yeah. Oh, just I, I when I agree to podcast, it has nothing to do with who previous guests are yeah. or what your following is. It has to do with is your heart in the right place and is your mission statement aligned with improving our place on earth and that's really all i care about my prerequisite is simply do does my mission statement align with yours and if it does we're good to go yeah sure no that's awesome we hope by the end of the show that you feel uh assured that our heart is in the right place yeah because this stuff Mm -hmm. i mean judson Tell them about your major. Um, well, I'm in aerospace engineering, uh, so that's, I guess, what I'm passionate about And AJ. Yeah. Well, so I'm an industrial engineer, and, like, most of the time when we talk to people about this podcast, they find out, you know, the people who make it, and they find out that we're, like, at least for me, that's not necessarily something in my major that usually surprises them, but I just remind them that, like, you don't have to feel pigeonholed by your major, I guess, and you can be interested in, you know, all sorts of stuff and just be curious and be... A lifelong learner regardless of you know your course of study in school because school is you know kind of an entirely different entirely different world well, school should be a place where you learn how to learn yeah so that when you get out you have your expertise of course but then you keep learning and then like you said you become a lifelong learner you'll spend many many more hours not in school than in school yeah. so if your learning ends upon graduation then you have deeply shortchanged all you can be in life yeah yeah, no, for sure. I, I mean, when we've listened to a lot of the podcasts that you've been on, you know, over the last couple of years, and I think one of the topics you've brought up a lot is school. So it's glad to hear you talk about that. And then actually, I'll just let that lead into one of the questions that we had is that you say that in school, like you're not taught things like innovation or drive. Uh, so what are your kind of thoughts on what education looks like today? And what don't you get taught in school that you really need to know to be successful in life? Yeah, I think I would word it slightly differently from how you put it. It's not that you're not taught innovation or drive or or grit. That's true. But my issue is that the tools of assessment, Hmm. where they pass judgment on your promise and performance upon graduation, are not indexed to your motivation, your will, yeah. your drive, your, your your grit. It's not indexed to that. It's sure. just to the grades you got at the time that you took an exam that they administered. And we happen to live in a world 
where now let's take chat gbt for example where you can say write me a uh, you know an essay on the fall of the roman empire right and make it 600 words or the thousand ten five thousand right right it'll do that and so the urge to cheat is high but why would anyone really want to cheat let's analyze that you you'd want to cheat because the school values grades more than you value learning right and that's tragic right Right. so it's not your fault that you have the urge to cheat it's the system's fault because all they care about is your grades and yes the grades are supposed to be proxy for having learned but if you can get a high grade without having learned you're going to try to do that because it's easier whereas if the system valued what you learned and that's what then no one would ever cheat right right because what you're cheating yourself sure you yeah. what are you doing you're there to learn you're there to become enlightened yeah. to be have deeper thoughts yeah about topics you didn't even know existed right so so uh, educate so chat gpt is going i think should be a the writing on the wall for some of what needs to change about the educational system. Now, if someone is highly ambitious, I don't mean that in the, let me step on top of other people to get ahead, yeah. as that term is often used in the business world. Ambition means I'm where I am now, and here's where I want to be in the future. That ambition is not coded in grades at all. Right. And so you can ask, of all the shakers and movers there ever was, how many of them were straight A's or were valedictorians or, you know, many of them even dropped out of college, right? And yeah. some famous names among them would include Bill Gates, um, you know, Michael Dell of Dell Computing. It would include, um, I don't think he dropped out, but he didn't start out at a four-year college. Um, it would be James Cameron, who has three of the top 10 grossing films of all time. He's not doing great, just, uh, it, it's not like, he did well for himself for not having gone to college, right? right, right, uh, right. No, no, it, he, he leads the fields, all right? So, so the notion that there are these teachers who administer exams, and they look at your score, and then pass judgment on you, uh, I think that's, I understand how we got to that point, right. but to continue that, given what we know about, quote, successful people in society, I think is a travesty. So do you think that there's maybe a better way to evaluate those students? Well, it takes more effort, right? Right. Every person. So uh, what would the final exam be? Um, you sit down with the person and have them write out the answers or have them verbally tell you what the answers are. Then I would know what you learned. Because mm-hmm. okay? sure. I'm there watching you in conversation with you. Sure. All right. That's a way bigger effort. Right. So maybe we need more teachers or we have to pay them more so that that extra effort is built in to their higher compensation. So yeah. I don't have an exact solution. Right. And often it is much easier, of course, to cite a problem than to solve a problem. Yeah. But uh, and but you have to cite the problem before any solution arises. And th- these are the problems that I see. Yeah. Okay. No, that makes that makes perfect sense. It kind of aligns with when we're doing the show, you know, there's a really um, high drive to just like, let's say we're going to do an episode on a topic we've never looked at before, sure. like 
And we've talked a little bit about the Hubble constant, but like say that for example. And so it's really easy to just look all that stuff up or we could even like, you know, now ChatGPT can write you a script that's like 20 minutes long or something about a topic. And then we could sit here and read through that whole thing. But you can tell when you're face to face with somebody whether they really understand it. And I think that comes across in Correct. our shows too. Like if we actually do a deep dive, we can talk about it and have a fun conversation rather than just reading a script. And I would add that it's not so much knowing a subject as it is being able to communicate it and organize your thoughts. Yeah. You can have a, a treasure trove of random information about the Roman Empire, but if I ask you, well, what does that mean? And what does this signal for other empires that followed? And what are the lessons? The, this is this is not just a, an accounting or recounting of information. It's a processing of information. And often that's the greatest value of what it is to be in college. How you when they say write a ten page research paper, it's well, how would you do that? Well, yeah. you gotta find the books, you gotta read the books, you gotta take notes, you gotta organize them, you gotta step back, you gotta think about it. And at the end of the day, it's not about even what you learned on that research topic. It's about what you did to learn about that research topic yeah. and to communicate it and to write about it. Because that's transportable to other papers that you might need to research so it's never about uh what you learn it's about the brain wiring that remains after you went through whatever you had to do to learn what you learned yeah okay yeah that's that makes much more sense i think um and i'll give one other one other example uh let's take uh, harvard for let's just look at harvard um harvard has some awareness of this issue with ambition versus grades and all of this and yes while like nearly all the students there have very high grades um they actually get more applicants who are valedictorians of their high school than there are opening slots in the freshman class wow so if they wanted to they could just fill the freshmen with valedictorians but they don't because at some point they recognize that a valedictorian, will they, while they get complimented for their high grades, because, again, they're not complimented for what they know right. explicitly. They're complimented explicitly for their high grades. Oh, you were 4.8 instead of 4.9 or whatever is a five-point scale. And everyone is talking about the shadings of points. Not, oh, how enlightened were you after you took that call? But no one talks about that. Right. Only the numerics of it. Yeah. All right. So, I. Uh, so I so the last I knew this number, about a third of the entering class are valedictorians, and two thirds aren't. Yeah. And so there you are, valedictorian, you get denied entrance to this elite school. You say, how come? I've worked harder because they don't want just because you say no. There's more to life than clawing at a high grade so that people can compliment you. Yeah. Right. Yes. There's what are your ambitions to succeed? What do you? What ideas do you have about life? Yeah. Well, how is it all going to come together for you? And like I said, none of that is encoded, and it takes effort in, in GPAs, and it takes effort to find that in someone. Yeah, that lines up. Ex I mean, every single person on our campus would agree with everything you just said because we're in final season right now. And so <laughs> every single one of our friends is like, if we're talking about school, we're talking about grades. And they're like, is, I don't know if there's a way I can get my B plus up to an A minus or my A minus up to an A or something like that. And it's right. just too bad that that becomes such a significant 
portion of your life and your stress at that point is just what is my grade right now? Right. So they're not saying you're exactly right. No one is saying, what can I do to learn more? <laughs> they're yeah. saying, what can I do to get my grade from here to there? Right. And they'll do whatever is the minimum or whatever. They're not even thinking about the fact that your only job in college as a student is to learn. Yeah. That's your only job. There's no other time in your life where that's your only point of existence. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You might have side jobs. All right. Where you're actually paid. That's not what I'm talking about. You can have those jobs without being in college. You're in college. Why are you in college to learn? That's the only point. And so, uh, so yeah, it's the system would have to change to find people who have high ambition who are, who are slower learners, but they'll still learn it. Yeah. Right. You, you, uh, I remembered I, I got a series of B's on some exams and then, but like a few months later, I learned enough that had I gone back to take the exam, I would have gotten an A, but that doesn't matter to anybody. Right. All right. That I'm now at an A level because I was not an A level at the point I took the exam. Yeah. So the system has a timeline built into it as well. Meanwhile, as I said earlier, you'll spend most of your life not in school. Yeah. And if I spend my life as a lifelong learner, then it shouldn't matter to you if I know an A's worth of knowledge a year later than when you gave me that exam. Yeah. Somewhere in there, it would be, there, he's headed for an A's worth of knowledge. And that's a good thing. And people should know that. Yeah. And right. let me add that, yeah, people are talking about grades. You're in final season and all you care about is the grade that comes back. By the, how old are you guys right now? We're 19. 19. He's going to turn 20 in the fall. Yep. Okay. All right. So uh, by the time you're 30, I know this is impossibly far in the future, <laughs> but by the time you're 30, ask everyone around you who's, let's say you're in some workplace, let's say, or you're in industrial design, you said, so you'll be in some design firm. All right. And ask everyone your age around you, when was the last time someone asked you your GPA? And they will not right. remember. Yeah. Yeah. That's how rapidly irrelevant that datum becomes yeah they want to know are you a hard worker do you put in extra hours when they're necessary are you moral do people follow you are you a good teacher are do, are you a good uh worker in the workplace do are you a binding force for people or are you a dividing force hmm. all right some people in workplaces are dividing forces they antagonize and so all manner of other things matter in the workplace that do not reference back to your GPA. Yeah. And none of that's in your GPA. Yeah. Do you think, um, I guess leading into another question that we had, um, do you think there was like a uh, moment maybe in your education or something like that that maybe flipped a switch for you where you saw some new, you added some new perspective? No, if you're always at it, then these switches are flipped all the time. Okay. So yeah. so uh, here's the way it works. You, if you, you, you have your major, but at, as one of you said just at, when we began, there's all this other stuff you can learn, right. all right? And if you're in sports, you can. there's the camaraderie of sports. There's, let's say you take an art class, a writing class, a history class, because you're both in the sort of engineering side of the fence. But there are all these other things you can take. All right, so now you can say, well, why am I doing this? Well, maybe you enjoy it. But even if you didn't enjoy it, you don't know five years, 10 years, 20 years from now, whether or not you're going to need that right yeah or at least that exposure to it you won't know 
So I remember slogging through Shakespeare. Like, why should anybody <laughs> talk like this? Oh, that's modern English. No, it's not. We speak modern English. Whatever the hell Shakespeare's like. It's old. Well, it's it's modern compared to Chaucer. Yes. All right. So I'm slogging through it. And I, I know I want to, I, all I care about is the universe. So why am I doing this? And later on, when I start writing books, and I'm using quotes from Shakespeare, and I find out Shakespeare had some insights here. And, <laughs> and that would be missing if I didn't have that early baptism in areas that I was not obviously interested in or areas that i might have said i don't have time because i'd rather focus it over here sure instead yeah. of over there okay so yeah. i'm a big fan of industrial design by the way and i've designed books on my shelf right now i'm looking at them and uh, industrial design is is the great um invisible force operating on how we function in society yeah the things that industrial designers design and you're not even thinking about it as a user yeah right. it just works yeah and you're not harming yourself and you're <laughs> so what i mean by invisible is no one is thinking that somebody actually first drew that on a sheet of paper yeah and then it got built and so so i i'm semi-fluent in many many areas that i have later on revealed over the years and dare i say decades uh, it has completely enriched my life. Yeah. And I'm not a one-dimensional person as sure. a result of it. Sure. Yeah. No, as I've like gotten further into industrial engineering, it's like we learn just more and more about the small things that you aren't thinking about that was built by somebody else that works perfectly. And it's just like completely um, in sync with our day-to-day -day life. And we just don't even take time to realize it. Uh, but learning how to think that way instead and look at the world in a like from an engineering perspective is exactly. really ridiculous. Yeah. Exactly. So, and I, other people would benefit who are not industrial design engineering majors taking an introductory class in it just so they yeah. can have a sense sure. of what that entire branch of engineering cares about. Yeah. And you don't have to wait till a cocktail party where you happen to run into someone where that's their profession. Yeah. Yeah. You talked about your books, um, like how in writing you started to use some of those skills and, uh, you know, the ideas that you had picked up from English classes. So you realized that they had, you know, benefit to you. Can you talk about your newest book, Starry Messenger, and, you know, how you came up with that uh, kind of idea and wh what made you want to write about that? Yeah. So uh, Starry Messenger, the latest book that I wrote, is, I think, the wisest in the sense that I could not have written it 10 years or five years ago or 10 years ago or mm. 20 years ago. Cause that's how old I am. I get to count back that far. I get to count back <laughs> as old as you guys are, but uh, the, I don't, I couldn't have written it because I wasn't wise enough. You know, the people who get older and long for some time when they were younger, when they were, you know, through the winning touchdown and you know, the, sure. the game that they were in or they, you know, but maybe they were better looking when they were younger. And I, I, uh, there's a phrase from the this this writing. It's not really a poem, but it's beautifully written. It's called Desiderata. Desiderata. Okay. And it was some piece of writing found in some old church, and its 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 authorship was unknown for a while, and they finally traced it to a rabbi. Interestingly, so I don't know what it was doing in a in a right. Christian church, but it has all these points of wisdom. One of them is. 
Take kindly the counsel of the years, gracefully surrendering the things of youth. And I used to carry a handwritten, my own handwritten copy of Desiderata in my wallet when I was in middle school because of the wisdom that it had contained. Um, Avoid loud and aggressive persons. They are vexations to the spirit. Um, Just these are freight, just one sentence things. It's like, damn, yeah, yeah. Um, And another one is uh, do not compare yourself with others lest you become vain or bitter. For there will always be greater and lesser persons than yourself. Right? Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah, I'm all in on this. And, but the t- take kindly the counsel of the years. I don't long for anything that I did when I was young B- because as I get older, I'm doing things that you can only do when you're older. Right. And that is assimilate, not assimilate, um, uh, assemble the bits and pieces of everything you've learned from everyone you've met, conversations you've had books you've read, places you've visited, insights you've gleaned, and digest that in such a way that they can become pearls of wisdom that you can then share with others. Otherwise, get, you've wasted what it is to get old. Right. All right, as far as I'm concerned. Okay? Uh, there's another uh, quote from Horace Mann, uh, which is, I want on my tombstone, which is, I'll give you the full quote. Because uh, it's a little richer, and it's the, he wrote this in the early 1800s. That's a, a Horace Mann is two centuries ago, great ed, American educator. Okay. He said in one of his, it was a final speech to his graduating class. He said, "I beseech you that I think we should bring beseech <laughs> back into the language. We need a little more beseeching. <laughs> I beseech you to treasure up in your hearts these my parting words." Be ashamed to die until you have won some victory for humanity. Wow. Now, there's yeah. a mission statement for yeah. you. All right. So, um, it's so in, in my life, uh, I at each turn, I look at what I've accumulated and I say, Is there anything I can share with the public? So, yes, Starry Messenger, Cosmic Perspectives on Civilization is my life's wisdom expressed through the lens of science literacy and flavored with a cosmic perspective. And it tackles practically every subject you've had arguments with your crazy relatives over holiday dinners, okay? (laughs) And there's a chapter, uh, gender and identity, color and race, law and order, uh, life and death, truth and beauty, risk and reward these are chapters in one other and the two others more purely astronomical earth and moon exploration and discovery all these chapters involve subjects embedded within them that you know you've argued about with other people as they dig their heels in telling you about gender or color or race or truth or life or death and the it was my attempt to reveal inconsistencies in people's thoughts or opinions so that when they come out of it they either have a more a more authentically formulated opinion or they learn that they never really had an opinion at all because it wasn't based in anything of any objective truths yeah so just a couple of fun things in there so in the gender and identity chapter 
I, I talk about Santa's reindeer. Okay, do you know about Santa's reindeer? <laughs> yeah. Do we need to list oh, them? Okay. <laughs> I think I can't remember them all. Okay. No, no, neither do, I don't remember them all either, but we all know Rudolph. Okay? Yes. Right. So yeah. all, all the reindeer have antlers. Now, it turns out both boy and girl reindeers grow antlers. And I think they're the only species of deer for which that's the case. Right. All yeah. right. Now, however, the boy reindeers lose their antlers around November before the, mid, the dead of winter. Okay. And the girl reindeers keep their, their antlers, which means on Christmas Eve, when Santa takes off with his reindeer, they all have antlers, <laughs> which means all of them are female. <laughs> which means Rudolph has been misgendered. Okay? <laughs> Just thought I'd put that out there. <laughs> That's awesome. Rudolph, if it's a reindeer, it's a girl, yeah. not a boy. Yeah. All right? So the little thing. So take Joan of Arc. Joan of Arc. Do you know why Joan of Arc was burned at the stake? Do you know her story? No. No. Okay, good. Good answer. If you don't know, just say, I don't know. Yeah. All right? <laughs> By the way, that's, that's, whereas in school... It's, you know, they, it's okay to guess because then you might be right and get credit <laughs> for having knowledge that you didn't actually have, right? right? right. So school is this complete uh, fabrication of knowledge <laughs> versus um, uh, guessing. And so in life, in school, you can guess and you might be right and you get a higher grade. It, and if you're wrong, okay, there's no harm. In life, if you guess and you're wrong, you're just displaying your ignorance. <laughs> right, okay? right. That's that's what's going on there. So uh, Joan of Arc, a, a religious character in the history of France, she was fought against England to get them the hell out of her country. And uh, so what happened? She got captured in France, handed over to the Burgundians. Apparently, the Burgundians were very close allied with England. So she she she, she was put on trial by the Catholic Church in Burgundy, who were friends with England. All right, so they weren't going to let her go. Right. So they got to find charges against her. Oh, you know what? One of the biggest charges against her were cross dressing. <laughs> she led soldiers into battle, and it's hard to do that in a dress riding side saddle. All right. right. So, yeah. yeah, she was donning <laughs> men's clothes. All right. And so she was like the first famous tomboy. Yeah. <laughs> and here we have someone not only that captures people we grew up with, we all had tomboys in our class who were they they were girls that didn't wear a dress they had dirty faces often had short hair they wanted to hang out with the boys all right this is a gender spectrum that was manifest in front of us all of us for every year of our schooling we even right. had some boys who were a little bit effeminate they didn't quite know what they should do with that femininity sure. and so this these are and, and they're doing this against societal forces that don't want it or don't allow it or right. fear it or don't understand it. And so here's Joan of Arc. One of the biggest charges against her was cross-dressing. Why? Because it is clear as day in the Bible. In Deuteronomy, it says, but it's not in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not cross-dress. So you got to think, <laughs> it's not there. You got to go elsewhere. Yeah. You go elsewhere. In Deuteronomy, it's a, a woman, I'm getting very close to the precise quote, a woman shall not don the clothes of a man, nor a man wear the clothes of a woman, lest it be an abomination unto the Lord thy God. 
<laughs> there it is. Burning at the okay. stake. <laughs> there it is. And that's what they did. And later on, the Catholic Church said, sorry, that was a mistake. Let's make her a saint. So now she's actually <laughs> beatified in the Catholic Church. So this is it. I tell the story in the general identity chapter. When you analyze ideas from all sides, especially if you have a scientific understanding of the world, that it's the scientific, the zoological understanding of the world that we know about that Rudolph is a girl reindeer and not a boy reindeer. That's interesting to know, I think. And and other things, there's this thing with the, are you an XY or XX chromosome? So that's, and there are variations on that that are much rarer, mm -hmm. but those are the majority, XXXY. So those are clearly male-female. No question about it. That's binary. Sure. All right, so now the question is, do you see this when you look at people? Do you see their XX or XY chromosomes? No. no. So I did that experiment. Okay, so what is that experiment? Right? I was in the New York City subway, and it was the winter. Everybody's wearing a big coat. I just see their heads sticking out of their collars. And I say, can I tell just by looking at a person if they're male or female? And sure enough, it's a trivial exercise to do this. It's trivial. Well, well, what am I cueing on? Am I, am I cueing on the chromosomes? Well, not really. Oh, no. uh, here's what I'm cueing on. So here's what the, the girls, the girls on average had longer hair right. and two earrings, not one, uh, on average. And they were longer, more dangly earrings. The eyebrows were more, were more likely to be tweezed. And I said they were more likely to have longer hair. They were more likely to be wearing makeup of some kind, especially eyeshadow, eyeliner, mascara, the like. Um, uh, more likely to be wearing lipstick. More likely to have nails that were painted okay uh, how about the boys well the boy might have a beard because that's a manly thing to do girls don't have beard boys oh by the way the girls if they were going to have a mustache it got removed through the through what do you call it with the laser thing laser hair removal do, um, nair or not that's not nair but laser hair removal there's a word for it when the uh, laser hair but anyway you get it removed yeah because because girls aren't supposed to have hair on their face, all right? <laughs> and two, and like I said, if the eyebrows are too big, tweeze them down so they're thin, all right? And the, oh, by the way, suppose the woman's chest is not large enough. Well, go get it made bigger. As 200,000 women a year in the United States do. Wow. They elect to have breast enlargement surgery, all right? So now how about the boys? If the boys are a little skinny... Are, oh, you go to the gym and you you get bigger muscles and then you come in and you walk. Okay, so, so there you are. Now, what clothes are you wearing? You just go to a department store. They know how to dress you if you're going to be a girl. They'll put you in girl clothes. Right. They know exactly what to sell you. And if you're a boy, you go to the boy section. My point is that every cue available to me where I'm going to judge if you're male or female, was not your chromosomes. It was secondary and tertiary accoutrements added to your whatever you look like when you woke up that morning so that you presented as male or female. Sure. And so, oh my gosh. Well, if that's the case, it's not about XX or XY. It's about how society told you to look. And that's what we're all queuing on.
Right. Yeah. That's, so, so if that's the case today, I feel 80% female, 20% male. And I dress that way. Okay. If I'm 20% male and 80% female. I do, what are the opposite of what I meant to say? And <laughs> all right. And to have people object to that, I, I find astonishing. Yeah. Okay. Because, because it's not subtracting from your freedoms. Yeah, right. it's not. And I somewhere I read somewhere did I read this? I'm pretty sure. Where, what country in the world cherishes the pursuit of happiness? Where have I seen that? Oh, the American Declaration of Independence. Okay, <laughs> there it is. Pursuit of happiness. If it makes me happy to dress like a girl today and a boy tomorrow, why do you even give a rat's ass? Yeah, right. right? And so this is. So that's all in the chapter. By the way, I'm not handing out opinions in right. those chapters. It may feel that way and sound like, but I'm not. Right. I'm just highlighting the fact that if you think you're looking at a girl, it's because society figured out what that person needs to do right. so that you think you're looking at a girl. And don't think that you're actually observing the chromosomes right. because you're not. Right. You said in... Your book, you it might sound like you're giving opinions, but you're not. Another big point in your book is you talk about the personal truths. I think that that's what you call them. Can you talk more about that? Because I guess when I read that, it made a lot of sense because you mentioned like you go to the family dinners or Thanksgiving or whatever, and then you argue with your relatives or whatever. And I feel like especially today, people get more mad more quickly and that maybe uh, because of these personal truths. Could you talk on that? Yeah, so... <clears throat> The, well, the dinner situation is a combination of, of two kinds of truths. So I'll just like, put them out. So I, I, I have a chapter on truth and beauty, and I wanted to figure out, how do I talk about truth? And I looked around society, and I noticed that religious circles use the word truth often. Bible and truth, and God and truth, mm -hmm. and if you're Christian, Jesus and truth. And so I don't want to take away the usage of the word truth. because There was no point in that. So I said, let me refine what people mean when they use truth in these various ways. So I said, <clears throat> something called a personal truth. This is a truth that you hold dear. And yeah. evidence is irrelevant. It's just you hold it dear to your heart, and it's true to your bones. So is Jesus your savior? That's your personal truth. Is Beyonce your queen? That's your personal truth. In a free society, no one can take that from you. Right. Here's the challenge, however. If you require that other people share your personal truth, then you need some act of persuasion. Right. And the history of civilization has demonstrated that in the limit, that act of persuasion is all-out war. Oh. This is how you oh. got the Crusades and other sort of religiously motivated wars over the centuries and over the millennium millennia but in a free country jesus can be your savior but if you now rise to power and want to legislate that jesus be other people's savior that is the beginning of the unraveling of a pluralistic democracy yeah just be self-aware of that all right and so now another truth is the truth that you think is true because it's been repeated so often I call these political truths, mm. all right? That's why political campaigns, they're incessant in messages they're trying to deliver. And 
you hear it enough, it's just true to you. And this is the same kind of sort of truths that be, things that become true in propaganda. It's what propaganda is. Yeah. It's let's show you this often enough that you think it's true. And so political truths and propaganda are intimately connected. Uh, the third truth is the truth that methods and tools of science are exquisitely tuned to establish. And I call these objective truths. These things are true whether or not you believe in them. So it seems to me, if you're going to base legislation or laws on some kind of truth, then the objective truth is what it should be based on, because then it applies to everyone, regardless of your religious belief or your cultural or anything else that might alter your view of the world um, and what you declare to be true about the world. So at Thanksgiving dinner, what typically happens is you get people who are embedded in a political truth because they only expose themselves to one form of news outlet, or they only hang out with people who align with their political ideologies. And as a result, they will think some things are true that are objectively false. Right. Period. And they'll argue it. And by the way, consider this. Scientists can figure out that the sun is hot and it is undergoing thermonuclear fusion and Earth orbits the sun. We have evidence in support of that. We have theoretical understandings of it. We are not going to go into battle with each other over these objective truths. It is unthinkable that we would do such a thing. Yeah. Whereas personal truths and political truths that have no foundation in objective truths, people go to battle over them. People will sacrifice their lives over it. Yeah. And so I make the observation that it's a curious fact that the less evidence you have in support of what you believe to be true, the more likely you are to lay down your life in support of it. Um, so I'm curious. And that to me, that's one of the great mysteries of the universe, right. how and why that can even come to pass. So one of the things that I've seen, maybe you talk about before, is like a cosmic perspective or maybe this overarching perspective of maybe uh, how we our role in the grand scheme of the universe. So I'm curious if... You think maybe people that have more of a cosmic perspective and are able to put things in a grander scheme of view maybe view those those fights over a personal truth or if those are less yeah i mean it's just it's i can't even force myself to imagine again people going to battle over objective truths it's not because you just get together say this is true we agree and here's the evidence there's no there's nothing to fight over at that point so yes <laughs> the answer is yes <laughs> so i lead off the book with a quote from apollo 14 astronaut edgar mitchell who after he returned from the moon was interviewed by time magazine and in it is the following quote remember he was out at the moon right all right you develop an instant global consciousness a people orientation, an intense dissatisfaction with the state of the world, and a compulsion to do something about it. From out there on the moon, international politics looks so petty. You want to grab a politician by the scruff of the neck and drag him a quarter million miles out and say, look at that, you son of a bitch. (laughs) It's a cosmic perspective as never before uttered. I did read that in... The, I think that was, was that in the preface of your book 
I was in the, well, it was it's um, it's the opening quote. Yeah, that appears just before or just after the preface. Yeah, yeah. no, that reading that was like. Yep, that sums it up. I think that's why <laughs> that I started this podcast. I, I didn't even have to write the book. Just read that quote, put it down, we're good to go. Exactly. Yeah, you could have saved a couple hundred pages. Uh, but, but, <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> no, holy smokes. I Especially with the first thing, I guess, that comes to mind right now is social media. Uh, I, mean, I mean, certainly just the way that we interact with technology has changed the way we interact with each other. And so I'm curious, you know, what your thoughts on uh, or what are your thoughts on how how technology has changed over the couple, last couple decades, you know, how that has changed how we interact with one another? Well, I think it was it's a force of tribalization. Yeah. And when you're tribalized you, and other people are not in your tribe, it's a cause for argument and ultimately a fight and historically a lethal fight. The act of communication and the widespread dissemination of misinformation or worse yet, disinformation, that's not a new thing. Right. I mean, ask yourself, before the printing press, you you had to be on location to tell someone a lie. Hmm. With the printing press, you can print it and then distribute the lie right. into multiple places. What happens next? Oh, we have a radio. Oh, someone can sit behind a microphone and comment... Oh, whatever they wanted via radio. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And that could spread information faster and more efficiently than a broadsheet that you tack up in the center of town that was just produced by your printing press. Right. Right. Well, let's keep going. There's, there's, uh, television. Oh my gosh. Now <laughs> with television. I can see what people are doing, what my government officials are doing. Are they really acting in my interest or not? Yeah. And you continue this list and you 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 arrive at the conclusion um that every next wave of communication brings us closer together, yes, because you're con- you're conversing with more people than ever before, people you never even met. Right. Um, but they've always carried the risk of the role propaganda would play getting that rapid access to so many people. That's a risk. Right. Yeah. And we need tandem tools to protect us against it. Yeah. So, no, absolutely. What were going to say, Judd? Um, so I guess, obviously, there's also great benefits to, you know, instant spread of information. But if it's, you know, for, for with good intentions and things like that. So do you think overall like the the instant spread of information and has been a a positive force on humanity or, an, or a negative force i I'm, i i wish i could say positive i wish i could even say neutral but i think the negative features of social media mm-hmm. just eke out over the positive features yeah and so nothing we couldn't fix sure. i presume but it's something we need to consider yeah especially as ai rises up that's going to just continue to grow the fraction, uh, <laughs> the computer's fraction of control over information. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, wh- you were saying like, you know, back when the printing press, like, okay, you could tag something up in the middle of the town. And that's like the first way you could spread information. And now it's like the complete opposite where you, you don't even have to really put in that much effort to say anything you want to say. And I think, I mean, if you look at, 
some of our comments on like YouTuber stuff, sometimes it's great. And people are like, you guys are good looking. Like, keep it up. <laughs> like, we love you. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, this is great. But other times they're like, they just want to like start an argument about basically anything that you post. So it, it's, I think I'm just bewildered sometimes by the uh, stuff that people feel comfortable saying as long as they can do it behind a screen, you know? Well, there was a day, I'm sad to say, there was a day that, when you disagreed with someone, you you just said, oh, that's interesting that we have different views. Let's talk more about that. Right. There was a day when that actually existed. Nowadays, uh, I purposefully don't put opinions on social media because there are people who will attack them. Right. And on the expectation or the, the, the desire that all opinions in the world exactly match theirs. Yeah. And that's a that's scary. Yeah. yeah, because you you want to do away with the pl- uh, plurality of demographics, and we have words for countries like that, and they're called dictatorships. Yeah, yeah, and I mean all that can be done behind the screen and anonymously, where you might never know this person that you're, I mean, disputing against. Like you don't know who they are. Yeah, and you could never do that to somebody face to face either. Like right. you, I mean, I'll argue with Judd all day, but that's because like <laughs> I know he's a stonewall and he can take it. But I'm not going to argue with an absolute stranger, you know, if I met them in person and they had a different viewpoint than me. Sure. But if it's online, people do whatever they want. Right. Right. Exactly. All right. That's the end of part one of our discussion with Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson. I know my mic sounds really bad, but I just needed to quick record this message as I'm moving out of college. We're going to release the second part where we talk about a bunch of space topics with him in two weeks. So stay in tune for that. Ignition sequence starts. Three, two, one.